Mighty God, for scriptures that are so beautifully read and illustrated, that aren't just for kids, but for resources that help kids learn and grow, thank you for your word now to all of us, grown-ups and kids alike. We thank you in advance for the work that you want to do in each of us, and I include myself in that. We want to think about the resurrection. We want to think about what Easter really means, and we're so grateful to be able to do that with friends and family and people gathered around us that are building up this sense of joy and wonder at what you have done. So remind us again of the deepest parts of who we are, how much you love us, and use these words to remind us of your love. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. It's great to see all of you here. We've been talking about Psalm 23 to help us get ready for Easter. And so that last line that Dale just read for us, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's an amazing picture of what God is up to as he cares for people. And one of the ways that you can kind of reframe this idea of dwelling in the house of the Lord forever, that seems kind of abstract. A word that we might use to summarize that, and we'll get into this in a little bit, is paradise. And paradise, according to Webster's Dictionary, is a place or a state of bliss, felicity, or delight. So synonyms for that, utopia, heaven, never-never land, right? Second star to the right and straight on till morning. And people really care a lot about paradise. In fact, some people go so far as to build a version of paradise. So I want to show just a couple of pictures from one of my neighbors. This is uh, the backyard of my neighbors, Dan and Shelly. Don't worry, I told them I would be showing these pictures today. I didn't hop the fence and, you know, sneak in there. Dan and Shelly have lived in our neighborhood for 30 years. They're really, really great people. And they have put some work into their yard, right? Like, this is amazing. There's a river. There's a couple of waterfalls. Like, it's, it's just incredible. And you walk into their backyard, and, and if you have one of these in your yard, you know this. You hear the sound of the water before you see how pretty it is. Like, isn't that cool, right? You walk in, and there's this great patio where you can put your feet up. And then my favorite feature of their backyard is the koi. Okay, so kids, I need your help with this. What's a koi? A fish. What kind of fish? A big fish. How big? Can you show me how big? Anybody? Super big. So, yeah, like wingspan, right? Like there was a fish in there that was at least as long as my arm. And I don't got a big wingspan, so he was really big. Okay, another question. What do you feed koi besides fish food? That doesn't count. What do you think if there was a people food that koi would like, what would it be? Anybody? What do you think? Bread. Bread. Close. What do you think? Nope, you just got your hand up because it's cool. That's fine. Okay, I was really surprised by this. Okay, so take notes. The next big thing is going to be the koi diet. The koi diet is Cheerios and green peas. So you tell your mom, I want to grow up big and strong like a koi. Give me Cheerios and give me green peas, right? Like, I just love that that's what my friends feed their koi. Dan and Shelly have worked really hard to make their backyard a place of rest, a place where they can be at ease, where they can just enjoy the end of their day. Paradise can be a place like that. I was telling my son, Will, who's five, about what I was preaching on, and I said, one of the words we're going to talk about is paradise. And he said, okay, well, what's that? And I thought, okay, you're five. How do I explain paradise? Paradise is a place where you can have everything you like, where everybody you love is there, and everybody's in one place together, and it's really, really nice. And Will thought about for that for a minute, and he looked at me and he said, Chick-fil-A? (laughs) 
we all have a version of paradise. For a five-year-old, Chick-fil-A. For grown-ups, it might be your favorite beach in Hawaii. Special spot where you know this is where I can go and I'm just going to be here. I'm just going to relax. If you're a fly fisherman, the first time you get out to the river, it's early morning, you're out there by yourself, you cast out that first line, that's paradise, right? Maybe you grew up in really difficult circumstances. Maybe your life uh, has taken some twists and turns. Maybe you grew up around poverty. Maybe you grew up with a sense of, I don't know if I'm safe in my house. Maybe some people that were key for you kind of left early on. Maybe if that's your circumstance, just not having to deal with that is paradise. Maybe having those needs met is that sense of freedom that you've longed for. Maybe it's a community that's seeking to eradicate those things, to seek to get rid of injustices around the world, and to see God's justice be brought to bear. Maybe that's your version of paradise. Religions always love to talk about paradise, right? Like, if religions are all about the carrot, if paradise is the carrot, then the law is the stick. And every major world religion has some kind of, you know, tip of the cap to this, right? You need to keep the rules in order to achieve this status, or your consciousness needs to evolve. You need to learn the next highest level. You can earn paradise is essentially what a lot of the major world religions have to say. And I say that with all due respect. But this is where there's a distinctive thing that Christianity has to offer. Christianity is different than earning paradise. My friends Dan and Shelley, you could argue, have earned this wonderful space they've created in their backyard, right? Like they worked hard on it. They got dirty. They got sweaty. They got calluses on their hands. They have earned it. But what if thinking about paradise is different than earning? What if it's not about being right? This is where I really want us to lean in this morning because I think this theme is what is going to carry us through the rest of our time together. What if paradise is found not by getting it right, but by getting it wrong? What if paradise is found not by being perfect, by keeping all the rules? What if it is found simply in the grace that we need to experience every day? And I'm not talking about intentionally getting it wrong. I'm not talking about throwing the game or taking a dive. I'm talking about getting it wrong like we all do. Like every one of us does by missing the mark, by falling short of what we thought our life was supposed to be like. By getting it wrong, what if we find that paradise is actually a gift and it's a gift of grace? of undeserved, unmerited favor. That's really what Easter is, guys. It's good news for people who've gotten it wrong. Raise your hand if you've ever gotten it wrong. It's okay. We can be honest in church. It's fine. Easter is for those of us who have gotten it wrong. And I include myself in that. It is for those of us who have felt helpless, who have felt like we had no power, who felt like we were on the outside. I won't ask you to raise your hands about that because that would be the nervous hand-raising thing, right? I want to share a story that's sad for a little while, but then it gets better. And this is where we can put up that next slide, David. There is a man who lived a long time ago, and the scriptures don't name him, but we're going to call him Chris today. Chris had done some bad things in his life. My son actually made this this week. Isn't that cool? And so near the end of Chris's life, because of the laws, because of the government that he was a part of, he was crucified. He was put up on a cross like this one as punishment for his crimes. So really awful, right? Like a terrible way to end your life. Bad situation for Chris. Tons of pain. He's feeling totally alone. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of his pain, he starts to hear this squabbling. He starts to hear almost like people are starting to get into a fight around him. And this one guy that's on a cross next to him starts to really speak terribly to this other guy. 
And he's calling him names and he's picking on him and he's, he's just really being mean. And so Chris is kind of up there going like, who, what, what in the world? Like, we're, we're dying here and you guys are getting into a fight? Are you kidding? And the other guy that is having these terrible things said of him is Jesus. And Jesus wasn't guilty of anything. He was crucified too. He was in the same place, same position, same status as Chris. And he was still there even though he didn't deserve to be. Both Jesus and Chris were together, and somehow, we don't know how, we don't know anything about Chris's backstory, but he somehow knew that Jesus could help him. He somehow believed that crying out for help or begging the people down on the ground in front of him or asking them to come help him, I'll pay you money, he didn't go that route. He went the route of asking for help, which is exactly where Jesus can start in any of our lives, is when we ask for help. And we don't even really have to understand how this works, how the wheels are going to turn, what's the outcome going to be, what's your deadline on that? No. This is what Chris says to Jesus. This is in Luke chapter 23. And I'll read uh, the whole section for us. One of the criminals who was hanging there next to Jesus kept deriding him, or the scriptures say, blaspheming him and saying, are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other, Chris, rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve. We're getting what we deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Incredible assessment of the truth and a horrible situation. And then he turns to Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Help me. And Jesus replied, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. That's it, you guys. That is all we are able to do, is ask for help. Chris is saying to Jesus, I don't have any power. I can't get off of this cross. I can't fix this. I can't game the system. I can't turn this around. There is no going back. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. I'm stuck. Jesus, will you help me? And whatever it is that we are facing, whatever has come up for us, whether we followed Jesus for a long time, whether we're here just kind of because someone told us we needed to be here and the cinnamon rolls are great, but this Jesus thing feels like a mystery to us, let it be said that the way that someone undeserving of everything came to Jesus was just to say, I need help. I need help. And friends, that's the cry of every person's heart, and that is what Jesus is listening for. He's listening for it. He asks for help. Jesus meets him there. That's kind of step one of figuring out this whole paradise and being wrong thing. Was Chris able to construct an argument to force Jesus to do something for him? Was he able to offer him money? Did he clean himself up and put on a suit and brush his teeth and show up to church? No. He was hanging there next to Jesus, just like him, a peer in suffering, a helpless man asking a seemingly helpless man to help him. That's us. That's the promise. That's where the promise comes into play, though. There's a promise that changes everything. So that's part one, is the request. What did Chris ask of Jesus? Part two is the promise. And it's actually a two-part promise. When Dale read for us Psalm 23, that last line, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's like the summary of the whole rest of the psalm. So if you've ever been to a memorial service, you've probably heard Psalm 23 read. It's one of the most famous passages in all the scriptures. 
And what it's a statement of is the statement of that very first line, the Lord is my shepherd. Can you say that with me? The Lord is my shepherd. It's like a therefore. If you were to be able to insert the word therefore at the end of that phrase, the rest of the psalm explains therefore. I get to live my life in ways that God has given to me. Not ways that I have earned, but that he has given to me. I get to lie down in green pastures. I get to come beside still waters. I get to be cared for in the ways that my soul longs to be cared for, and it is all a gift. That is the gift that is given to those like David who cry out for the shepherd's care. Isn't it interesting that the very end of Psalm 23 sounds so similar to the end of our passage from Luke 23? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus said to the the guy we're calling Chris, truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Today you'll belong. Today you'll be in my family. Today there will be no more hurting and no more pain and no more tears. That word that Jesus uses is really interesting, the word paradise. He doesn't use it often. In fact, this is the only time other than the book of Revelation that we have him recorded using it. And it's the Greek word paradesos, And the word breaks out very interestingly. The beginning of paradesos, peri, is the word around. So think of an encirclement. And then desos is a wall. And the image that's supposed to be conjured by this is a garden. A garden. Now think about what a garden is. A garden is a place that's at your house or like my neighbor's house that's delineated, right? A garden needs to have some kind of boundaries around it. And what happens in a garden? A garden is where things are cared for where someone tends to the flowers and the grass and the trees and makes sure that that's a place where good things happen. There was a garden at the very beginning, the Garden of Eden, where God lived with people, people lived with God in perfect harmony. There was no sin, there was no brokenness. So when people hear this word paradise in Jesus' day, they're thinking of a garden. And maybe they put together that this all began in a garden. And maybe... That's a little bit of what Jesus was pointing toward when we had the kids' passage read for us. Remember, this is talking about the garden of the empty tomb, the garden where dead people were supposed to be. Remember, the angel come and says, why are you looking for dead people? Why are you looking for a living person among the dead? This is a garden surrounding a tomb, a tomb that didn't even belong to Jesus, a tomb that his friends had to borrow so he would have a place to be, a tomb in the middle of a garden that brings paradise where paradise walked right out, where paradise took on the form of Jesus. And that's where we belong. A set-apart place given to us by God. And I want to just kind of demystify part of this very, very briefly. Because people follow Jesus, because there's the promise of paradise, is not an invitation to tranquility. Understanding paradise isn't like taking a tranquilizer and sort of numbing out and saying like, great, I'm taken care of, like there's no worries the rest of my life. It's not hukuna matata, although I love hukuna matata. Paradise is meant to be catalytic. It's not tranquilizing, it's catalytic. When we receive the gift that God gives to us in Jesus Christ, when we receive this knowledge that he has prepared a place for us, that we are welcome into his forever family, it doesn't just numb us out, it inspires us. It gives us hope. It maxes out all the other things that we think are so important. It right-sizes our concerns and our prayers and our worries, and it says, this is where you really belong. These are the things that your heart longs for. I had a lunch with a friend recently, a woman that goes to another church, and she's a stay-at-home mom, three very busy kids, 
She's driving the minivan around to soccer practice. She has the life that so many people live here on the east side. And her calling right now is to help her church step into the work of racial healing. Now, this is a really interesting juxtaposition because this is a white, middle-class, stay-at-home mom who has a heart and a calling to lead her church to care about racial healing, to see that the Bible talks about racism and racial healing, to see that the church needs to play a part in that. And she's not doing this from a place of having it all figured out. She's praying. She's reading stuff. She's leading a group of people to take bigger and bigger steps courageously into this conversation. And she's building bridges with people among other races in her community. That is a life that has been catalyzed. That is the catalytic effect that paradise has on people. Is that you start looking at all the other stuff that we can so get involved in and just so become overwhelming to us. Whether it's schoolwork or work work or any of the other things that we get involved in. Our parenting, our grandparenting, you name it. We can right-size that when we understand the impact that paradise has on our lives, like my friend at this other church does. And she feels called to the work of racial healing. But if that doesn't work for you, maybe there's a calling for you to fight slavery, to end injustice around the world. Maybe there's a calling for you to help take care of hungry kids at our Lake Washington schools, which we as a church have partnered with Pantry Packs to help make that happen. Maybe there's a calling for you to reach out to single moms and single dads in your community. Whatever it is, that's the catalyzing effect that paradise has. It's not a numbing effect. It's an effect that calls us forward into something great, which is why I love being a part of a local church. Because the dreams that God has for my life and your life are better when we are together. And I am confident that he is going to continue to do great things in and through this church because we are people who've been given the gift of paradise. Not because we've earned it, but because it's been given as a gift. Final thought as we wrapped up. Everybody always wants to wonder who belongs in paradise. Who gets to go there? Good people or bad people? When we think about the thief on the cross, when we think about Chris, when we think about people that Jesus encountered throughout his life, if you are looking for a moral through line to get to heaven, you're not going to find it. And I would argue that the question who's in and who's out isn't really asking the right question. It's the request that Chris made of Jesus that made all the difference in the world. He didn't earn it. He didn't deserve it. He hadn't gotten down and created this wonderful paradise for himself. He knew Jesus could help him and he asked. Jesus told his disciples once, in my father's house are many rooms. And I go to prepare a place for you. I like the idea of many rooms because there's going to be a lot of different kinds of people in heaven. C.S. Lewis once said that the most common reaction people have when they first get to heaven is, oh, you're here? (laughs) All right. Think about it. Think about the people that Jesus encountered in his life. A powerful Roman official asked Jesus for help because he had a sick daughter. Was he a good guy or bad guy? A friend of Jesus' named Lazarus died. His family asked Jesus for help. Jesus wept and he helped. And did he say to them, you need to be good people before I do this to you? No. A woman from an outcast racial background and a sullied moral reputation asked Jesus for help and she left that conversation transformed. Was she a good guy or bad guy? A bureaucrat and a cheat named Zacchaeus came to Jesus in his loneliness and his brokenness. And guess who knew exactly how to help Zacchaeus? Was he a good guy or bad guy? These are not good people or bad people. These are people who ask for help. 
So friends, that's our invitation. Our rescue, this paradise that we can find through getting it wrong, not through getting it right, our rescue is the way that we find our paradise. We find paradise when we ask for rescue. So where do you want to be asking for rescue in the week ahead? Are you experiencing despair and discouragement? Or for the first time ever, are you hearing this truth of the gospel where it is just a gift, a gift of free grace, and you're going, okay, it's time. I need that. If so, then Easter is for you. And it's for me because it's for people who get it wrong. And it's for people who feel helpless. And it's for people who are invited into paradise. Would you join me in prayer? Mighty God, we thank you for Easter and we thank you that you met this thief on the cross. We named him Chris, but you know his real name. And you heard his cry for help. And after talking about it this morning, we're, we're mindful that Chris didn't do anything to earn or deserve your love. And if he didn't, then neither can we. And sometimes that's hard for us to believe because if we grew up around church and we heard good people go to heaven and we heard you got to keep the rules, it's really hard to believe that even a thief, even someone far from you, can go and be with you. And on the other side of it, there are many of us who believe that hey, I'm good. I've got this. I haven't committed any real serious crimes this week. I'm not sure that I need paradise. I think I can go and make it for myself. Oh God, help all of us, wherever we're coming from, whether it's from legalism or license or somewhere in between, because we need your help because we are all criminals in one way, shape, or form. So would you help us? Would you help us to experience what paradise really is? It's your garden. It's your place of grace, your place of care for us. And God, if we have never asked you to make room for us in your kingdom, we just want to do that now. We want to echo Chris's words and say, Jesus, remember me in your kingdom. That place of many rooms, would you prepare a place for me? I don't deserve it. I haven't earned it. But would you make that real for me? Father, we know that you are the giver of all good things. And so we ask for your your forgiveness and we ask for a fresh start. And we thank you in advance for welcoming us into your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.